Uh, but let's pray for Johnny and then I'll hand over to you. Let's maybe stretch our hand where we are. Father, we thank you for Johnny. Thank you that he loves your word and he loves you. So as he unpacks Acts 8 for us, would you open our hearts and minds to receive all you have for us this evening? And would this be such a joy for him, for us, for you, for the glory of your name, oh God. Amen. 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 As, as Liz says, is that all right? Yeah. Um, my name's Johnny. I uh, have been here about nine months. If I probably know 70% of the room. If you haven't met me, I am the esteemed worship pastor's slightly older brother. And um, I, I work part-time at the moment for a, an NGO that focuses on Hong Kong politics. I'm not... I'm not here today to talk about that, but as with um, Brexit, the more you know, the less you have a clue, is the, <laughs> the gist of the situation. So it's great today to be following Angus last week, and this term, this month really, we are, we're, we're just picking up on different characters and different moments in the book of Acts, and the overarching story of Acts, and, and what Angus picked up really beautifully on last week is that that Acts is a story of God's people moving in the power of the Holy Spirit and basically the the core thing every week, hopefully this this month will be that as we step out with Jesus we we see his power at work and so last week Angus was picking up on um, Paul, Peter sorry and John in the temple, seeing a cripple walk. And, and before I kind of talk about the story we're looking at today, I just, it's worth pausing there and, and being kind of, we have a powerful God and let's not, let's not kind of move beyond that too quickly because actually, actually that's kind of, that's the heart of the entire book. That's the heart of this term. And, and the character we're looking at today is another amazing, amazing man um, who really only gets a kind of brief snapshot of the uh, of the book. He, uh, Philip, he just he just appears for a chapter. Um, but again, you get that you get that story of God's power, and, and and in his life, we get the chance to learn a little bit more. A little bit more about what it looks like to walk as a disciple, to walk as the early church did. So we're going to look at Acts 8, uh, verses 1 to 8, and then 26 to 40, which I think this morning, if I'm correct, is 1039 of the Bibles. Um, And it says this, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralysed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. 
So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means Queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they travelled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptised? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptised him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and travelled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So there are a number of remarkable things in this story. Not only does it uh, give my, me hope in my aspirations to be able to teleport, it also is one of the coolest moments in the Bible in that we see the first non-ethnic Jewish convert being a sub-Saharan African, kind of putting to bed the lie that Christianity is a um, Western, white kind of religion. And you have this a really wonderful moment of actually the Holy Spirit working out the situation so the guy ends up going away being baptised. And I was reading last week that more than half of Britain is now totally unreligious and only 1% of 18 to 24-year-olds profess to be Christians in the Church of England. And um, I I think passages like this give us hope that there is, um, that that does not have to be the the story in our lifetimes. because it's a pretty bleak story, it's a pretty bleak situation with a generation rudderless. Um, but passages like this give us hope and a picture of what the church can do when we partner with the Lord Jesus. And as I was reading the passage, there were seven words that jumped out in verse 30. And they were simply, then Philip ran up to the chariot. And this struck me, it was... Is, I think, I don't know what it was about it, but it, it could have been, and then Philip nonchalantly sorted out the chariot. It could have been, and then Philip argued with God for 10 minutes about why approaching the chariot of the Ethiopian ambassador was a bad idea, and all in all, this was not the situation that we needed. Uh, but he didn't. He ran to obey. He ran to the chariot. And I have... One of the things I love to do is to, when I approach, when I, when I meet people who I really admire, generally who are a couple of generations older, um, 
I'll ask them, like, what's their one big piece of advice to someone in their early 20s, mid-20s? And I'm really, like, it is surprising the number of people who have really achieved big things for whom the answer to that question is risk. Um, I remember talking to Andrew White, the vicar of Baghdad, risk. Robbie Dawkins, risk. So many of these guys who have achieved big things, their answer to this question is, is run to obey, take the risk. And, and I think we are, the, the, like, as a community, we're at a stage where actually lots of us are making decisions about the, the long-run destinations of our lives. And the question is, is, is are we willing to run to obey? Are we willing to take the risk? Or will we settle for comfort and perhaps mediocrity? Because I think, as I was praying about this, the, the thing that the Lord had to say to us as a community is, are we willing to be people who will run in obedience like Philip? For some of us, that will literally look like running to individuals outside the church and talking to strangers about Jesus. For others, it will look like going, actually, I'm in my office. How can I be a blessing to the people here? For others, and, and, and as a church, it will look like us going, kind of, what does living space, what opportunities are there for us to really make the most of this new season? And, and I think what I want to draw out now is, is three reasons that Philip was able to do that. Three reasons he was able to run, to obey. Three reasons that he was willing to take the risk. And the first of these is that he didn't disqualify himself. And there are a number of reasons I think we can see in this passage that Philip could have disqualified himself. So um, the first we see when we look at the passage is context. Um, his friend Stephen in the chapter before, had just been stoned. And chapter 8, verse 2 says, Godly men buried Stephen, and he mourned, and they mourned deeply. And, and Philip was, along with Stephen, one of the seven deacons. They would have been mates. And you have this, this, this context of, like, he is ministering in God's power in a season of deep grief and deep weakness. But he didn't allow that to disqualify him. Some of you know that Connor and I lost our dad a couple of years ago, and the last couple of years have been some of the hardest that we've had. But both of us and our mum and our brother have seen, kind of, even in that weakness, even in the season of grief, we've seen God continue to give opportunities for us to bless people, and sometimes even out of the weakness, the chance to be a blessing. Mum has a blog that is blessing a lot of people, a lot of people love, because She's being vulnerable and honest and speaking truth in the middle of a season of grief. I had the privilege uh, last year of speaking about God's Father Heart to the Oxford University Mission Week, which wouldn't have been the same if I'd not been through what I'd been through. I remember um, one of the most moving moments in the immediate aftermath of Dad's death was that we went down to, to Parkrun in Richmond Park and between Dad and Connor, they probably, in the first 10 years of Richmond's Park Run, run Park Run 400 times. And um, we're a family of uh, running geeks. I am the least talented. Uh, Connor is probably the most talented. Uh, we kind of will sit and watch these 
uh, funny, well not funny actually, just YouTube videos of, uh, of uh, uh, like top runners in our spare time. So that's a little sense and one of the things on my bucket list is to beat the PD dad set when he was 61, which I still haven't done yet. And it's quite like a sad thing that someone who, who does run a few times a week uh, like still be there. But um, anyway, it was the 10th anniversary of Richmond Park Run the week after he died and because he'd been there for eight years of the ten, uh, they, they devoted a little slot for tribute and a couple of guys got up and gave speeches. And they, they asked Connor to come and share. And Connor got up on a little tree trunk and basically shared with 500 non-Christian Richmond Park runners about how God runs with us and he cheers us on to the finish line. And it was one of... I don't know, one of the most moving moments. And it, there is something about us not disqualifying ourselves in our weakness, but allowing God to, to use the situation so that we, can, we are allowed to continue to be blessed, to be a blessing. I remember talking with a couple, I spent some time one summer with Jackie Pullinger's charity in Hong Kong, and they work with kind of recovering drug addicts. And I, I remember talking to um, them about that ministry and they described it their ministry as a ministry of miracles and tears and they were constantly working from a place of weakness they'd have nights where they would see guys healed painlessly from heroin addiction so like with, without any withdrawal symptoms from cold turkey which is a certified miracle basically and the next morning the guy there would be a punch up in the house and you, you had this situation where they were constantly going, if God doesn't show up, we are screwed because of the needs in this community. But God did show up, and it, and it, and it is wonderful. And, and so, because God cho chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise and the weak things of the world to shame the strong, we are able to not be disqualified by our weakness and to continue to step out and to continue to make a decision to run. And I think there's a second, there's a second thing, because not all of you will be in grief. It, it, it might be that it's inadequacy, it might be that it's uh, something else. And one of the, the other ways that it could have disqualified himself is he could have boxed himself. So he, he was, um, earlier in Acts we find that the apostles kind of decided they were quite important and they needed to have uh, some admin stuff. And so they hired out they, they picked these seven guys to be their deacons, who would be the kind of operational, uh, operational arm of the fledgling church. And Philip was picked for this. And I think in our age and our day, he would have been told, oh, you have the gift of administration. And lots of Christians like to uh, say, oh, I have the gift of administration, or I have the gift of hospitality, and that means I don't have to do anything else. And he, he would have been, oh, I have the gift of administration, therefore, great. But I think what the, the story we have here shows, the story of Philip, the ox manager turned evangelist, shows, is that actually that's, that's a, I think, kind of possibly bad Christian theology where we box people too much. And so, so don't be disqualified because you've decided that actually, oh, that's for someone else. That, that I, can't, I, can't, I can't do those things. I hear those things that are really exciting. I hear, those, I hear people come back with these stories. But that's for, that's for someone else. God wouldn't use me like that. That's a lie. And 
the, the story of Philip shows it. And so if we're to run in obedience, we need to not disqualify ourselves. The second thing is we see in the passage is that Philip also saw the situation in Jesus' eyes. So there were lots of ways he could have written off the, <coughs> the Ethiopian eunuch. There are lots of ways. It, it actually, in that society, the guy was, he was probably the wrong colour. He was also, um, the, the eunuchs were kind of, or seemed to be a bit unclean. Um, and he would have, and so he would have probably come out of his trip to Jerusalem, this, this man who was reading the scriptures, and gone, actually, I don't know if this is for me. I don't know if I really am accepted in this world. And yet Philip didn't write him off. Philip chose to run despite what appeared, might have appeared in that culture to have been uh, a situation where he, he probably shouldn't, shouldn't reach out. And, and I think the reason he did this is because he knew God's heart in Scripture. So the, the, thing, the thing is that we, see, we start to see with Jesus' eyes when we really know his heart in the Bible. So Philip, um, he will have known that three chapters after Isaiah 53, in Isaiah 56, it says, Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch say, I am only a dry tree, because I will bring them to my holy mountain." And give them joy in the house of prayer. And I can just picture this situation where you have this, this guy who is reading Isaiah 53 and he's going, I don't understand it. What does it mean? And, and Philip will have come to him and he will have gone, Look, this, this points to Jesus. Have you heard about Jesus? And then he'll have gone, Oh, but is it for me? And Philip will have gone, Well, you just need to turn the page a couple of pages. And this promise shows that God cares for people regardless of colour, regardless of background. And so we are called to see with Jesus' eyes um, and we are called to, to understand what he sees by coming to know it in Scripture. And I think for, for me, like many of my great Christian heroes are people who did that. You, you, you think of people like Diedrich Bonhoeffer who he stood against the Nazis because he knew that anti-Semitism was absolutely not permitted in Scripture. And you have the same with Mother Teresa, who she went to some of the poorest people in the world because she knew that God said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for this is the kingdom of God. And I, I know I love my granddad, he does the same thing. He sees people high or low, and he doesn't, he treats them the same, he treats them with the same dignity. And I've had conversations with a few people here about, like, I think that's a real sign of true, authentic discipleship when someone doesn't, isn't caught up in what the world does, doesn't kind of treat status as the thing or looks as the thing, but actually treats each person with real dignity and love. And so Philip ran because he didn't disqualify himself. He ran because he, he, in his knowledge of scripture, started to see the world as Jesus saw it. And finally, and most probably most importantly, he, he was willing to take those risks because he really trusted the character of the God who called him to run. You know how it, it says in 1 John, we love because he first loved us. I think you could, you could actually flip the verse and have, we run because he runs to us. Um, I have a picture of Rembrandt's painting of the prodigal son um, on my, opposite my bed in my bedroom. And that story is is maybe one of the most wonderful stories of God's 
heart of love for us. Um, and in it, it says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And so he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. And, and Philip ran to obey, I believe, because he was loved by a heavenly father who ran to him. That father sprinted, he put aside the dignity and the gravitas of a Middle Eastern patriarch and sprinted out to hug the son who had rejected him. And that is the picture that Jesus presents of who God the Father is to us. And you know, the story doesn't end with that embrace with us kind of dirty. It, it, it then, we then follow on with kind of sanctification. We, we, we end up running the race with that Father in heaven alongside us. Um, I was out running um, quite slowly last night, slightly uh, frustrated with myself. Uh, every so often I'm like, why am I still getting stitches? Uh, I've been running for a long time, and I'll get there. Come on, Jay. Come on, Jay. Keep going. And I just felt that that's sometimes, that's kind of a pathetic image over some of our lives, that we, we feel like we should be doing better, that we should be running harder, that we should be going faster. And, and actually, in those moments, I am reminded of the runs when I was an even more stroppy teenager, my dad, where I would stop and I'd be like, I'm not going any further, sorry. And he would come and he would just wait and he'd go, you can go, you can go, I've got you. You can keep going, I've got you. And actually that is what God is like. He's the Father who runs with us. He's the Father who runs to us in our mess. And then when we struggle, when we, when we try, when we find it difficult, He runs to us. And, and Hebrews describes Jesus as our forerunner who runs before us. He's the one who, he's, if God the Father is the Father who runs to meet us and involves us in love, then Jesus is the one who runs before us and makes the way and makes access to God the Father possible, and makes the situation. It, oh, I, I almost, you almost see it like the Trinity. You've got the Spirit calling us to run, and the Father running to meet us, and Jesus running before us. And in that, in that situation, with that, if we really believe the truth of that, then running to obey is an easy thing. If you, really, if you really start to internalise at a deep heart level that it is true that God the Father runs to you and he loves you and he delights in you and the creator of the heaven does that and that Jesus, the one who died on the cross for you runs before you then Running in obedience is something that is desirable rather than something that is terrifying. Um, I just want to land with a quote. I love the uh, South African revivalist who called Andrew Murray from the 19th century, who is probably, I think, up there in my top, top three uh, Christian writers. He's a hidden gem. I found this um, five, 500 page, it sounds really quite geeky, but it's actually an amazing commentary 
in a second-hand Christian bookshop uh, by this guy. It's just all gold. Um, and, and what he, he he's just commenting on that verse where it says, let us run the race of perseverance looking to Jesus. And so I just want to read this over us and then we'll kind of transition. As almost as a prayer for us, like let's make this our prayer. Let us run looking to Jesus, looking not to ourselves or our sins, but to him who has put away sin forever. Not to ourselves or our faith, whether in its weakness or its strength, but to him whose presence is the life of our faith. Not to the world or its temptations, but to him who has said, be of good heart, I have overcome the world. Not to men, but to Jesus, the God-man, Emmanuel, God with us, our brother and our king, looking to Jesus and Jesus alone. Looking to him always and in all, in trial and in trouble, in joy and prosperity, in solitude and rest, always only looking to Jesus. Looking to him and his love till my heart burns with that love. Looking to him till his eyes meet mine and I know that he watches over me. Looking to him in the power of his love and spirit, knowing that he himself is drawing me to himself, leading and perfecting my faith. Looking to him to be changed into his likeness from glory to glory. And so like Philip, let us run looking to Jesus.